made it to 1 o'clock? How many of you made it up to 2 o'clock like I did? How many of you never even went to bed? All right, we'll be praying for you. Well, my name is Rich Evans, and I have the privilege of serving here as the family ministry pastor. And I just wanted to take a moment this morning and bring you up to date on our current status with our Christmas offering, the total amount that we've received to date. You ready? Who wants to hear it? All right. I knew that. I just thought I'd ask. <clears throat> All right, here we go. To date, we've raised, we've given $62,341. Yeah. That's amazing. Listen, do you realize that that's the largest amount that we've ever collected and given completely away to our community and around the world? Yes, man. I just want you to know from the bottom of our hearts, we're proud of you. We're very proud of you. You made that possible. Lives are being changed. Well, this morning, I want to open up a, pas a passage of Scripture that um, Scott came to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, would you be willing to speak on New Year's Day? Now, now here's the thing. <clears throat> he did this to me last year, all right? And, and I thought, sure, I'll speak, no problem. And here's what happened last year. Um, as I was looking back, here's what hit me about three weeks after I spoke on Sunday morning. Do you realize that I actually set myself up on that day? Because the thing I said the most that day was, if we're going into a new year, here's what I said. It's your follow-through that matters. And I walked out of service and I said, man, that was great. It's your follow-through that matters. Then I realized I'm going to have five or 600 people looking at me all the time and making sure that I follow through during the year on what I say to do. You talk about setting yourself up. So when he asked me to speak, here's what I told him. Let me have a couple days to think about it, Scott. Let me pray about it. Well, the first passage of Scripture that jumped in my head when I went to him and said, Scott, I'd be honored to. I appreciate that. I said, um, I want to share with you a passage of Scripture from the book, from the book of Matthew. Um, I want to share with you some of the things that I've learned as I studied it. And I also heard a, a, a teaching from a pastor named Tim Keller and some of the insights that he taught me I want to share with you as well. Because I think he brought some perspective for me that I want to bring to you that will open it up a little bit more. So it's our practice to stand as we read from God's Word. So I'd like to invite you to stand with me. We'll be reading, like I said, from the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 16 through 25. Now you can follow on the screen behind me. You can read it from your smartphone or you can use your Bible. That would be okay. Matthew writes, Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? 
This is God's word. You may be seated. So we're kicking off the new year, January 1st, by starting a new series called Do-Over. Now, I know for me, looking back on 2016, it was a pretty good year. There were many times that was challenging for me. In fact, there was many times that I could have used a do-over in areas of my life, such as finances, some of the relationships that I had, um, physical fitness, fill in the blank. I needed a do-over in a lot of areas. See, here's what I know. I'm going to challenge us this morning to do what we all do unconsciously every year about this time. I want you to take a personal inventory. Now, here's what a personal inventory is. It allows us to see where we've been, 2016, to where we are currently today, to where we want to be in 2017. It allows us to identify things that we've done well, things that we need to work on, and it will also possibly make you a little uncomfortable and make you look at things that you've overlooked. See, I think that's the reason why this passage jumped out to me so much is because this story is about a rich young man who was basically doing a personal inventory of his life. He, and, and after doing it, he looked back and said, you know what, something's missing. Something's missing. I mean, this rich young man goes to Jesus in the hopes of figuring out what that one thing is that he's missing. So the first thing we learn when we jump into this passage is that this young man is rich in two ways. He's morally rich, and he's financially rich. In other words, let's start with the first one. He's morally wealthy. He's a decent person. He's characterized by moral excellence. If you look at your, his life, he's got it all together. I mean, think about this. When he goes to Jesus, he says, what must I do to, et to inherit eternal life? Jesus comes at him with the bottom five of the commandments. He simply says this, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus rips those out to him and he says, no problem, I've done that, no worries, check, I'm good. Well, let's just assume for a moment that he was actually telling the truth. Let's just assume for a moment that Everybody that knew him, that looked at him, could vouch for him. Could say that, yeah, you know, he's done all those things. Here's a man who's characterized by moral excellence. He's sexually pure. He's a loving son. He's a great citizen. He's a man of integrity and honesty. Not only that, he's wealthy. Because the passage says he has a lot of possessions. So he comes to Jesus, and you would think that this is the type of guy that Jesus is looking for. This is the model citizen. I mean, what more could Jesus add to his life? He's got it all going together. Think about it this way. To top it all off, you might even assume that he's a little humble because he goes to Jesus and he's willing to seek guidance because he still realizes he's lacking something. See, here's what I've learned and I know about being a leader. It's important for us as leaders to identify our blind spots because our blind spots, if we don't check them out, will trip us up. See, when we identify our blind spots, it gives us the op opportunity to work on them, to get better as a person, to get better as a leader, to get better as a follower of Jesus. So this rich young man really isn't doing anything wrong. He comes to Jesus and he asks him a legitimate question. 
probably the question that many of us in this room are asking as we go into the new year. What do I lack that I want to work on? What do I lack? Here's the thing. Not only does Jesus respond to him, he responds so strongly to, to him that it's way too much for the young man to accept. In fact, it's so much and overwhelming that whatever eagerness, because the passage says he ran to Jesus, but he walks away sad. Why would he walk away sad? Well, if you read the passage, what you realize is he realized that he didn't have it all together as he thought he did. Now, I know for me, and for some of you this morning, there may have been times in your life over the past year where you seem to drop the ball. Maybe you got to a point where you came to a breaking point where you just couldn't handle it anymore. Maybe it was with your finances. Maybe it's with your relationships in your life. Maybe fill in the blank. But here's the thing. Maybe you came to the point where you felt like the only other option that you had was just to simply give up, walk away, be discouraged. I mean, it was just way too much for you to overcome. Let's face it. This rich young man is very similar to a lot of us. See, he set out on a course of life that it made it look like he had it all together. He put his career together. He was doing all the right things. You would think that he was climbing the top of the mountain and he was doing an outstanding job. But like so many of us, right when he think he was going to get to the top, he realized that something was lacking he realized that he didn't have what it took to get over the top of the mountain. So he does what a lot of us do, which is a good thing. He turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I just need one more step. Unfortunately, Jesus tells him something that he doesn't really want to hear or he's not prepared to hear. He tells him that, you know what? You're completely off the path. In fact, your perspective or what it means to live a better life, because that's what we talked about last year, is way off. Not only are you off the, right, the wrong path, but you're not even living near the kingdom of God. And what's alarming to me when I read this, there's many of us today that are entering 2017 feeling the same way. See, even though 2016 might have been a good year, even though maybe you somehow pulled your life together last year in a couple ways, Maybe you had a good year because you were morally better, financially better, whatever. You're looking at 2017 and you start thinking, okay, there's all these things I need to work on. I mean, maybe last year we were able to be more self-disciplined. I mean, I lost a lot of weight last year because I was self-disciplined, but I haven't arrived. Jesus continues to remind me that I'm, I got self-disciplined. I learned some self-control. Um, here's the deal. Sometimes some of us in this room, maybe you were self-controlled, better self-discipline, made better career choices, but after doing all that, you still feel as if you're living outside of God's will for your life. Why? Because here's what I realize. Following Jesus is utterly and entirely different than anything that you may have even thought of or conceived. It's very challenging at times. So here's the question that we need to be asking ourselves as we're walking out of 2016 and into 2017. Here's the question we need to be asking ourselves so we don't go a walk away grieving from Jesus. How can we better follow Jesus in 2017? 
How can we do that? Not only how can we live a better life in 2016, how can we carry it over to 2017? Well, I want to share with you four reasons of why I believe that the rich young ruler walked away sad. First, he talked to the real Jesus. He went away grieving because he encountered the real Jesus. See, he encountered the real gospel. See, when you encounter the real Jesus and you have a real conversation with him, here's what happens. You're shocked, you're shaken, you're disturbed, you're challenged. In fact, when you encounter the real Jesus, you will always find that two things happen. You'll respond in one or two ways. Jesus demands more than you thought, and Jesus will offer you more than you realize. Let me say that again. Jesus demands more than you thought, and Jesus offers you more than you realize. See, what I mean to follow Jesus and live in the kingdom is he wants much more from you than you ever thought. Yet, he wants to give you far more than you even realize. Frankly, I think that's what it means to grow. See, if you realize that he's requiring more of you this year than he did last year, it means you're growing. It means he's challenging you. See, whenever you actually encounter the real Jesus, what always happens is you have two responses. You can either bow down and wonder and give yourself to him, or you can do what the rich young ruler did and simply walk away. Abandon him. Be offended. See, if you go away offended, here's what I want you to understand. Please know this. There's still hope. Because you can always still think about it. At least you've heard the truth. At least you've seen the truth. You might actually come back to the truth. See, the scripture doesn't really tell us whether the rich young man came back to Jesus or not. But here's what, it, here's what I do know. It's impossible to have met the real Jesus and not walk away thinking about the encounter that you just had because he shakes you up. Here's the other reason why the young man walked away. Jesus smashed his religious views of how he looked at religion. Let's give him a little credit. See, he did come to Jesus, right? He knew he was lacking something. But what's help us, what helps us to understand is that his religious views were a little off. Maybe he needed some kind of spiritual experience with God. Maybe he wasn't sure where he stood with God. What we do know is that the ruler asked this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I don't think it meant that he didn't know he had it. I, th I just think it meant he wasn't sure whether he had it. In other words, I don't think he was sure about where he stood with God. He lacked some kind of reassurance some kind of sense of peace. See, the problem is if you read this passage and you look at it, it looks as if he's approaching Jesus in a very sincere way, in a very honest way. But I, I don't know if that's the case. I think his motives were off. You see, I think he was, he was approaching Jesus on two assumptions. He was assuming two things about what it meant to follow Jesus. One is following Jesus, Christianity is something that you add and Christianity is just something that you do. First of all, Let's talk about the first one. He assumed that being a Christian or being, being a follower of Jesus was just something that you just added to your life, a kind of way of filling in the spiritual gap in your life. He says, what do I still lack? He was basically saying to Jesus, okay, what do I need to add, Jesus? And I think a lot of us do that when we look at our lives, don't we? 
When we take a personal inventory and we look back, our approach to life kind of shifts when we think we're lacking something. We approach life as if we need something, as if we have to add it. In other words, let me put it this way. Ready? Fill in the blank. My life would be so much better if I could just add this, fill in the blank, to it. Here's the thing. Christianity isn't something that you add to your life. Christianity, following Jesus, is far much more, it's more than that. It's like an explosion that destroys everything, destroys your whole perspective of life. It challenges you, challenge you to, is to make a way to think of it differently, to think of life differently. Jesus is saying, don't you understand? You don't need one more step to get over the mountain. What you need is me. What I have transforms you. What I have smashes that mountain. It's a whole new approach to how you look at life. What Jesus is saying is, Christianity is not something that you add to your life. It's something that completely transforms your life. You, I, I know that I've done this from time to time. Umbrella of mercy and grace. But how often do we make Jesus an addition to our life? Here's what you need to understand. He's not just another book that we put on the shelf. He's not just another file in your hard drive that will make your, your computer work better and work faster. Oh, no. Oh, no. Jesus is a whole new program. He doesn't just boot up your life. He reformats your life. He transforms it. Here's the other thing. Christianity isn't something that you do. See, the second thing that this man thought was that it was just something that you do. He says, Jesus, what's one good thing I should do? Yeah, I mean, I love Jesus. He doesn't beat around the bush. He goes right at him. He's blunt. He says, there's only one good. Now, I walked away when I read that thinking, okay, what's he saying here? Well, I think he's saying this. I want you to know that getting to God is not a matter of doing. It's not a matter of how good you are. That's not it. Nobody's going to be good enough. Nobody's going to be moral enough. Don't you get it? Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to challenge you. I want you to go and give away all your wealth. Sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor and come follow me. Why would Jesus do this? Well, Jesus is saying, listen, you're doing pretty good on those bottom five of the commandments. Do not murder, do not steal, etc. Let's just start with the first one. Let's go back to the top. How are you doing with love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Have no other gods before me. Rich young man, how are you doing with that one? Don't you see that your problem isn't about getting a little more goodness? The problem is that you won't admit to yourself that deep down you're not perfect. You don't have what it takes. You're not all together. That's okay. Don't you realize that nothing compares to God's love? Don't you realize that nothing compares to my heart? Do not have any other gods before me. In other words, your issue isn't money. Your issue isn't that one thing that you filled in the blank. Maybe it lies much deeper than that. Maybe you have a heart issue when it comes to your relationship with God. Let me show you something. If I don't poke myself and make myself bleed... I, put, I got a needle here, okay? It's just a needle. I used to work with knives, but I'm probably going to puncture my skin. But take a look at this needle. Don't do that at home. Just go home today. 
Grab a needle out of your cabinet and take a look at it. I mean, look at it. It's perfect. It's stainless. It's brilliant. It's bright. But if you look at this needle a little closer, what you will find under a microscope, I'll put it up on the screen. It's a little pocked. It's a little disfigured. It's a little misshapen. See, here's the thing. Anybody that gets, gets close enough to a human heart will see that it's the same way. When I was a student ministries pastor, I love Reed. I, I think he's awesome, and Tim's right. you got to meet the kid. He's great. I think he's awesome. But when I was in his role, here's what I do. I used to hang out with a lot of teenagers. And from what I could tell you, from what I might say, is from a naked eye, when you looked at them, from where I could see, they looked perfect. You would think that they were perfect young people of God. I would get up in front of them and I would preach to them and I, and I would give a message and, and I would tell about this teen that was his, they were so much gooder and this teen was getting more disciplined and this teenager was more self-control and I would be building these teenagers up. But here's what happened. As I would be talking to them, and I never said this to them, but I noticed out of the corner of my eye that some of their friends would have this disdain look on their face and they'd be squirming in their seat. Let me tell you why. Simply because any human heart, teenager's heart, an adult heart, is all misshapen. It's all pocked. The rich young man knew it, but he wouldn't admit it to himself. On the outside, everything looked great, but on the inside, it was messed up. See, Jesus is trying to break through to him. No one's good. You think Christianity is something that you add. No, it transforms you. You think Christianity is something that you do. No, it's something that you receive. In other words, this rich young man, relatively speaking, from other people's points of view, was a good person, a very good person. But his mindset, his viewpoint of what it means to be good was all wrong. And as a result, he walked away grieving. Jesus smashed his assumptions. Here's the other thing why he went away grieving. Jesus got personal. I mean, he went right at it. See, once again, I'm throwing myself out on the carpet here. I've done this. Maybe you have as well. But when we start messing up in our lives, we, we start to think that it's like an intellectual problem. And what I mean by that is we start thinking that it's something that we don't know that we need to do. He says, you know, I don't know why I feel like there's something wrong, but I know I'm missing something. I just can't seem to put my finger on it. Maybe it's something that I ought to be doing. I don't know. Is it, is it some rule that I'm breaking? I don't know. What is it? It's an intellectual problem, thinking that they can just fix it. I've struggled with this in my own life. See, my real problem, this is what we think, is I have a bad habit, but I can't break it. Or I have an issue that I just can't seem to deal with. Or I have something that I'm caught in the middle of, that I don't want to walk away from, and I don't know if I'll ever be able to move past it. The rich young ruler was the same way. His mindset was the same way. He was going into it this way, and I, and I know I've done this, maybe you have. He was going into it saying, you know, if I just knew that one thing, then I can simply move past it, and I can move on. But here's where the rich young ruler got challenged. He went to Jesus, and Jesus got personal with him. Because Jesus has the eyes that pierces through all the smoke screens, all the pretense, all the camouflage, all the posturing. 
the rich young ruler was approaching it intellectually, and Jesus got personal and said, I'm not going to have any of that. Here's something that I think that you need to understand. See, this story is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and when I went into Mark, I want you to, to capture this. You, this. If you don't remember anything I said this morning, remember this, because this is important. You know in the part of the passage where he says, what is the one thing I lacked? Mark adds, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Let me say that again. Jesus looked at him and loved him. It's important for us not to forget that. I mean, why is it so important? Well, it's simply because Jesus isn't looking at the outside of the face or his appearance. Jesus is reading his soul like a book. He's saying this, I love you. I love you, but what I'm going to ask you to do is going to hurt. What I'm going to ask you to do is going to challenge you. I see the cancer. I see the real issue you're struggling with. I see the real thing that's bringing you down. Rich young man, you got to get rid of all your money. Sell everything you own and come follow me. Now let me be perfectly clear what's going on here. I don't want you to misunderstand this challenge with this rich young man to get rid of all of his money. There's nobody in the Bible, as far as I know, who was asked to give up everything when it comes to finances. Even Zacchaeus only gave away half of what he owned, but he apparently did it out of gratitude and repentance. In other words, there's no rule in the Bible that says to follow Christ, you have to give away all your money and go into complete poverty. That's not what I'm saying here. Basically, what Jesus is doing here is he's going to a drastic measure. He's going right to the heart of the point. Just like if you had to go to an alcoholic or someone struggling with gambling, you're going to have to take drastic measures. Jesus is saying, underneath all your objections, underneath all your complaints, the difficulty we really have is never the difficulty we really thought we had. In other words, what we thought in the beginning was our problem, we realize is really not the problem at all. The issue at hand was something so much deeper, something so much more than just superficial. See, when we encounter Jesus, he gets personal. He wants our complete devotion, our complete attention. He comes to the rich young man. He says, I want the most important thing in your life. I want your dream. I want you to think, I want the thing that you think will give you life and power and joy without me. Let me say that again. I want the thing that will give you life, joy, and power without me. Don't you realize that underneath there's a power struggle going on with God in your dreams? Yes, you lack one thing, but are you willing to give it all up and follow me? I want you to trust me with your life's decisions. Remember the story in the Old Testament of Abraham and Isaac? Where God asked Isaac, God asked Abraham, to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, whom he loved? It's the same thing Jesus is doing here with the rich young man. See, the point is, anything that we have decided that will give us life and joy and power without God in it becomes a monster. It will drive us, and it will take you out. It will trim your legs out from underneath you. And Jesus says this, he loves him so much, he loves you so much. He says the reason your life is out of control is simply because you're afraid of losing control to me. So until you've given it to me, not only are we not right, but you don't even get it. 
you don't even realize that that one thing is killing you. See, are you willing to part with anything and everything? Change your attitude towards the attitude that Christ wants for you? See, we think the problem is intellectual. We think it might be superficial. We think the problem maybe is behavioral. Maybe there's a problem with your heart. Surrender it to me. I want it. Yes, you lack one thing, but it's not the giving away of your money. It's your lack of understanding when it comes to your treasure in heaven. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, so I'm going to take a brief moment and wrap this up. Here's the question. What are our treasures in heaven? What are our treasures in heaven? First, it means this, to see Jesus as your treasure in heaven. Jesus says this, I want to see that you have me, and when you have me, you're rich. Not just rich toward people, not just rich towards God. He's saying, young man, I know you have a great estate in the district, but nothing's compared to my forgiveness. Nothing's compared to my righteousness. Nothing's compared to being adopted into the family of God. Nothing. You see, thieves can steal, come and steal it. Moss can rust and corrupt it. All the stuff that we hold on to. Jesus says nothing that you could have in your life right now compares to having me as your treasure in heaven. See, when you do that, you're free from worry. You can live 2017 free from worry, free from envy, and free to be generous. Here's the last point. You have to understand this, that you are his treasure in heaven. In other words, in a few moments, we're going to take communion. You're his treasure in heaven. Because Jesus died on a cross for you. And he died on a cross for me. You remember earlier when I said Jesus demands more than you thought and offers you more than you realize? Well, I know for some of you this morning, 2016 may have been a tough year. And you're looking at 2017 and you're hoping and maybe even praying that it's going to be a better year. But just like this rich young man, even though he didn't realize it in the moment, Jesus offers you more than you realize. Jesus offers you grace. He offers you a chance to have a do-over. A chance for you to know that that he is your treasure in heaven. The chance for you to know that you are his personal treasure. You know how I know that? Because in John, it says this, in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. When Jesus looks at you, he loves you. So this morning, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're going to have communion. And it's a chance to remember why Jesus loves us so much and what he showed to us when he gave up his life. In 1 Corinthians, it reads this. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had it, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink, do it in remembrance of me. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward, and I'm going to invite you to take communion. And here's the thing. As we get into this series of do-over, we're going to hit some hard topics over the next four weeks. And maybe that's the one thing that you're holding on to that you need work on. Here's what I want you to know. 
and I've learned this in my own life, it's simply this. Jesus gives you a do-over. He gives you an opportunity to start afresh. So today's January 1st. It's a new year. It's your opportunity to come and take communion. Make yourself new with Jesus. Remember what you mean to him, but also what he means to you. So I'm going to invite you to come up and take communion. And then as you, as you take communion, I'm going to ask you to quietly, you're quietly dismissed to leave. But I want you to have a happy new year. And thanks for coming this morning.